Welcome to Come Draw From The Well. I'm your host, Victoria Fisher, and today we're gonna to be talking about organic matters. Why the quality of what you put in your body and on your body is vitally important to your health. We're gonna start with just some history and definitions of what organic is, how it came to be, and then we'll get into some, um, some deeper topics as to what the quality of our food um, is doing or can be doing to our bodies today. So organically grown food is defined as food grown and processed using no synthetic fertilizers or pesticides. Pesticides derived from natural sources may be used in producing organically grown foods. And this isn't just for food crops, this is also for crops that, um, of plant products that are used in um, bath and body products and even uh, cotton that's produced or hemp or bamboo that's produced for textile industry. So when we say the term pesticide, pesticides are chemicals, whether biological, natural or synthetic, that can kill pests or insects that damage crops. So organically grown foods or crops do not use synthetic pesticides they, uh, or fertilizers to help with the growth of their crop. It should be derived from natural sources. So why do we need this term organic though? So uh, the term organic actually came to be uh, coined in the 1940s. And that's because prior to that, in the late 1800s, Farming uh, was introduced to inorganic compounds and chemicals for fertilizers and for pesticides. Inorganic meaning synthetic, things that were not naturally found in nature and that uh, needed to be created. So these inorganic compounds were introduced in the late um, 1800s into the farming industry. And then it became widespread uh, by the, the 1930s and 1940s. Um, and just a little quick tidbit, we're going to talk about glyphosate a little bit, but glyphosate was actually derived from mustard gas, which was developed and utilized in um, both world wars. So there is a pretty sordid history to pesticides and these inorganic compounds, but we'll talk a little, about a little bit more about that later. So pesticides are widely used today in all parts of the world, uh, unfortunately, and organic farming was brought to be, brought about to counteract and to return to the root. So it was to counteract this, this push for these synthetic chemicals and compounds and return to natural farming practices. So this term organic actually was coined by Walter James in his book, Look to the Land. And this was in the 1940s. So uh, Walter James actually referred to the, um, the farming practices um, to return, I, I should say, to natural and ecological um, approach to farming. And he referred to farms as an organism. Think about it as a living, breathing, replicating organism that we needed to, to regenerate it, give it the tools that it needs to, um, to be sustainable. And he wasn't seeing that with these synthetic compounds. One of his contemporaries, J.I. Rodale, here in the U.S., also was really in the forefront of returning to um, organic practices. And he founded the Rodale Institute up in Pennsylvania, up here in the Lehigh Valley. Um, and another contemporary of his, so we had a, a few people from around the world, um, Sir Albert Howard was a British scientist who spent years in India studying the agricultural practices there and how they used green manures and waste as fertilizer. 
So all of these scientists were just looking at how um, civilizations and how people were farming outside of the, the newly developed scientific world. Um, and they wanted to return to that. They, they, they had some foresight in seeing how these synthetic substances could be detrimental to the health of humans and the health of the ecosystem. So they wanted to return back to those, um, those natural organic farming practices. So with the advent of this term organic and this trying to turn back to what we used to do as a civilization, there was really no consensus about what organic truly means, what the regulations needed to be, um, what the expectation was. So the Organic Foods Production Act of 1990 was um, introduced and it took 12 years of, of research and legislation and coming together and writing and rewriting, but it took 12 years for this act to be passed. And this act gives a general um, guideline and recommendation for what organic practices are. Unfortunately, there is um, some discrepancy or just some, some, um, some gray areas. There are some gray areas within this Organic Foods Production Act that um, makes it a little bit difficult to really regulate and truly understand all of the subtle nuances of organic farming. But there are some uh, things that are very um, standard within it. So one of those things is that there needs to be three years of transition from a conventional farm to then convert to an organic farm. Um, so what that really allows for is the removal of those synthetic compounds from the soil. So we, so it's really about regenerating the soil, removing those synthetic compounds, putting natural organic fertilizers back in to replete the nutrients um, that actually conventional farming strips from the land. So it takes three years to do this. Uh, so it's very time consuming. It's very costly for a lot of farmers. And only about 1% of American farmers are actually certified organic. And this is one of the reasons why, because it takes so long that you can't even really use the land properly or for profit if you're transitioning to organic farming practices. There's also um, no, there's a, a need for a buffer zone when we're talking about organic farms. So a lot of farms um, are neighbored by other farms. So most of these farms, because again, remember only 1% of farms in the US are organic. So a lot of these farms are neighbored by non-organic farms. So there is required a buffer zone between a non-organic farm and an organic farm. But that buffer zone has no regulation or no specifications. So this can create a problem for organic farms because there can be, um, there can be actually cross-contamination from a non-organic farm into an organic farm. So if, for instance, a non-organic farm is using pesticides and they're spraying their crops, just because of the, the wind itself, those wind conditions, the wind can carry those pesticides into the organic fields, into the organic crops and contaminate them. And if that buffer zone isn't large enough, or if there's just enough contamination, 
that organic farmer could lose their crop, they can lose their profit, and they can even lose their certification and have to start the whole process again. So they have to start the whole organic um, certification process again. If there's too much contamination in their ground soil, they have to start over with that three-year transition to go back to a fully organic um, field and soil quality. So this really does pose a very huge threat and risk to organic farmers. Um, but that just lets us know that there really truly is a difference between organic and non-organic or conventional. And that's something that we need to really be mindful of. Another um, piece of information um, about kind of the differences between organic versus non-organic farming um, or practices is that in a um, little great though, a fantastic book called Back to the Basics of Human Health. It's a very easy read. Um, I highly recommend it if you're just wanting to get some basic, again, information to get you back into a healthy place. Um, but in this book, they actually talk about how the soil quality of conventional versus organic products is vastly different. So for instance, in the 1940s and 50s, uh, an orange that was grown in um, just even regular conventional soil had far more vitamin C and nutrients, almost twice as much as an, um, an orange that's grown today. That even holds true with organic farms. Sometimes organic farming is still devoid of the full nutrient um, uh, spectrum that that product actually should contain. So we really do have um, kind of a problem here with with um, organic and with or non-organic and even some organic farming practices where we're just depleting the soil and this is not sustainable. Sustainable farming is something that we really need to get back to. So it's not just about organic, it's about sustainable. And that's a whole nother conversation that we'll probably have later on. Um, but we'll get back into the whole um, organic versus non-organic. So I had uh, mentioned that in 2002, finally came to a consensus that the Organic Foods Production Act was passed. So now we have uh, much more um, stringent regulations on what organic farming should look like. This does also kind of pose a little bit of a problem because a lot of farmers, especially small um, farms that have been in families for generations, they don't necessarily do it for the money. They don't do it for the wealth. So they don't have a lot of resources in terms of finances. So oftentimes the organic certification process is very difficult. So there needs to be inspections that are paid for your yearly certification. You actually have um, fees for yearly certification, um, assessments, uh, if anything needs to be changed or remediated, all these things cost money. And unfortunately, a lot of these small farms don't have the money for that. Um, there's also a huge push um, that this farmland is being bought up and small farmers are being bought out. Um, there have been lawsuits from, from some of these big, um, uh, from big ag, big agriculture, um, that they have bought out these small farmers. They have shut down some of these small farmers uh, because of contamination, because their uh, genetically modified seed has been um, just, again, because of the pollination of the wind. The wind carries their genetically modified seed into a, an organic farm. And some farms have actually been shut down because of that. It's no fault of their own, um, but just because, like I said, the wind patterns run off from the soil, 
these organic farms are being contaminated and and they're being kind of they're being shut out and, and shut down because of it so it's a really unfortunate thing that's happening within um, the American agricultural industry, but it is happening. Um, so we really need to be mindful of that, I think, and be mindful consumers. And um, we can talk about how to be a mindful consumer uh, later on as well. So I wanna give just a, a bit more information about non-organic or conventional farming practices that I think we should all really be aware of. So in conventional or non-organic farming practices, there is actually very little regulation as to what can be used. The FDA um, barely bans anything. So there are hundreds, if not even more chemicals that aren't even registered and we don't even know about that are being used sometimes in these farming practices. But I wanna highlight two of them. One you may know very well, another you may not have heard of um, so much, but I wanna talk about them to just let you know that there are damaging effects of these pesticides that we as a, as a society are consuming on a daily basis. So the first one might be a little obscure to you and you may never have heard of it, but it's called atrazine. Atrazine is a pesticide that is widely used in the US um, for many different reasons, but atrazine is starting to get a little bit of um, notice from the scientific community because of the effects that it has on animals and the effects that they're now finding that it has on humans. So atrazine itself actually does come with a wide range of side effects to humans, such as tumors, um, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, leukemia, lymphoma. It's an endocrine disrupting chemical, so it's like a xenoestrogen, and it interrupts our regular hormone function. It can cause birth defects, reproductive tumors, weight loss, um, as well as many other things. So I was, um, as I was doing research, I actually came upon this um, scientist, his name is Dr. Tyrone Hayes, he researched African clawed frogs and the effects that atrazine has on this amphibian species. And what he found is frightening. And I think it speaks into a lot of what's going on today in our society. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. You want to read between the lines. That's perfectly fine. However, here's what he found in African clawed frogs exposed to atrazine. So atrazine demasculinizes male frogs. So, it lowers male frog's testosterone. It actually uh, inhibits the proper development of their voice box. So instead of having a low croak the way male frogs do, it feminizes them and they have a deformed voice box. So it's a higher female-like tone that they actually emit. It decreases their sperm production. Male frogs um, exposed actually can start becoming feminized where they grow ovaries and eggs. So even though they have the gametes um, and the chromosomal makeup of a male frog, they start producing female organs and female gametes. They also, um, these frogs who are exposed, these male frogs started to exhibit homosexual behavior. They had changes in the actual um, brain makeup. The size of certain organs within their brain were actually are, are affected as well. So this all, yes, happened in a frog, but the, the um, side effects that I talked about, that I just spoke about, about these tumors in um, breast cancers, ovarian cancers, leukemia, all of these things were found in amphibians as well as humans. So 
if these cancers are found in both of these species, stands to reason that some of these effects on the reproductive system of humans is going to be impacted as well. So there's your little information for that. So beware of atrazine. It's something that we um, really need to be um, taking heed of. So one of the reasons why you should eat organic and why organic matters. Second pesticide that I wanna talk about is glyphosate. So glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup that has been around. Um, I mentioned that, that it was uh, developed from mustard gas. The scientists who developed mustard gas for um, biological warfare used that technology and made a pesticide. So the, the popular belief and what is spread um, throughout science and agriculture and everywhere is that glyphosate is great. It's perfectly safe. Everybody can use it. You can spray your lawn. You can genetically modify it and splice it into the DNA of corn. No problem. Nothing wrong with that. That may not be true and most likely it's not true at all. So glyphosate, I'm gonna um, read directly so you have this information and, and we will get the link for you and get the information for you. So contrary to widely held misconception that glyphosate is relatively harmless to humans, the available evidence shows that glyphosate may rather be the most important factor in the development of multiple chronic diseases and conditions that have become prevalent in westernized societies. I think that's huge, that's huge that this compound that literally can be found everywhere is actually not safe and most likely is contributing, is one of the main contributing factors to the chronically ill, chronically sick, degenerative society that we have right now. So here's how um, Roundup works or glyphosate works. This is actually its mechanism of action. So it interferes with the biochemical pathway involved with the synthesis of certain amino acids. Now, this does not impact humans directly. However, this um, amino acid synthesis pathway impacts bacteria. And our gut microbiome, our skin microbiome, our, our, um, this, uh, the genitourinary tract microbiome, all of these things are bacteria. The bacterial cells in our body far outnumber the actual cells of, of a human. So we actually, we are extremely dependent on our microbiome. So glyphosate interferes with amino acid pathways of these bacteria. Here's why that's important. These amino acids actually, um, or this amino acid synthesis affects these specific amino acids, tyrosine, tryptophan, and phenylalanine. So tryptophan is in the metabolic pathway to make melatonin and serotonin, our happy hormone. So just think about all the people in the US who have anxiety and depression, who are on SSRIs or selective um, serotonin reuptake inhibitor medication for depression because they do not make enough serotonin, but we don't make serotonin, it's made in our gut by our gut bacteria. And this gut bacteria is impacted by glyphosate. See the connection here? See how it's all that starting to come together. Um, phenylalanine and tyrosine are also vitally important for brain health, but our gut is also directly connected to our brain. We actually have neurons and a whole entire nervous system in our gut. So if our gut microbiome cannot synthesize the amino acids that we need for our brain health, 
then we have neurodegenerative diseases like autism, like Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's, like MS. Um, all of these things that we are seeing explode in the US and in the Western world. Also, these amino acids contribute to obesity, depression, which I already talked about, inflammatory bowel disease. Basically, you name it, these amino acids are connected with it. And glyphosate affects the synthesis in the bacteria in our gut, so we don't get the amino acids that we need. So we are now at a risk of developing these diseases. So there's also evidence that glyphosate inhibits a very key enzyme called um, cytochrome P450. And this enzyme is um, part of our liver detoxification process, um, phase one and phase two liver detoxification. So if we have um, inhibition with our cytochrome P450 enzyme, then we cannot detoxify foreign chemicals property, properly, such as pesticides. So you ingest these pesticides, it blocks or inhibits cytochrome P450. So now you can't actually get rid of these pesticides. So they just keep circulating and doing all the damage that they, that they do by design. Um, this cytochrome P450 also regulates the level of vitamin D and controls cholesterol in humans. So again, let's start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So a lot of people are diagnosed with um, high cholesterol levels, hypo, hypercholesterolemia or um, uh, high blood lipid level, levels. Just think, I'm pretty sure that you can name almost anybody in your family who's on a statin right now, who's on a cholesterol lowering medication. We're trying to demonize fats, well we as in society, but the American Heart Association, all of these, um, the FDA, all of these different organizations say fats are bad and you need to lower your cholesterol to protect your heart and to protect you from heart attack or stroke. But if you're inhi inhibiting your body's control of cholesterol because you have glyphosate in your system, then you're going to have problems with cholesterol. And it's not that you have a statin deficiency and you need to take a statin to correct it. Maybe it's the fact that we need to get rid of the glyphosate from your body, remove exposure to it so your body can actually control cholesterol properly so that you can regulate vitamin D. And FYI, vitamin D and cholesterol go hand in hand. If we have low vitamin D levels, oftentimes our cholesterol starts to creep up and up. So we need proper regulation of vitamin D to balance our cholesterol. Who gets in the way of this? Glyphosate. So again, there are definite um, negative impacts that glyphosate has within, um, within our system. So these are just two of the many, many, many chemicals that you may be exposed to by eating conventional foods, by using conventionally grown products um, in and on your body and around your home. So this is why organic matters. This is why it's so important that we are aware of what we're putting in our body. Eating organic isn't being bougie. It rich, it's not for the rich people, even though that's a whole nother story and, and rabbit trail as well about the, um, the cost of eating organic and how, um, how much more expensive it is, but that's um, a whole nother matter. But that's just something that we need to think about is 
what am I putting in my body? Not just, uh, okay, I wanna eat a salad because it's healthy. It was like, what, how was this grown? What was this exposed to? What kind of environment was it grown in? What was the quality of the soil? What nutrients does it have? Because that's the building block for my body. That's the building block for the bacteria of the microbiome that controls and contributes so much to my body. So eating organic truly does matter. So it's really something that we need to be mindful of and that we need to be conscious of and that we need to be intentional about what we eat. So I mentioned the cost of eating organic. I know it's expensive. I definitely understand that. I am a single mother. Um, I try my best to, to eat as clean as possible because I know it's better for my health. I know it's better for my daughter's health. So to me, eating well, eating healthy, eating organic is an investment to my health or for my health. So I would rather spend way more money on my groceries than go get um, coffee from some kind of um, junky chain place and, and who knows what chemicals I'm getting in my body that way. I would rather um, spend my money on food than get my hair and nails done. I just don't like doing that anyway. But um, I would rather put that money into, into investing in my health. We need to eat three times a day for the most part. So every time that we eat, we're making a choice. We're making a conscious decision about what I'm doing with my body. What message am I sending to my body? Food, the intake of what we eat, it's a conversation, it's a message, it's telling our bodies what to do, how to be, how to grow, how to respond. So what's the message that your body's getting? If you're eating organic, when as, as often as possible, you're giving your body the right messages. So with that being said, here is um, here's some information about how you can eat organic maybe on a budget or be mindful of how you can um, save a little bit of money and not quite um, spend quite as much. So not everything in your house needs to be organic. I don't go to the grocery store and only buy organic products, but there are things that I will not buy conventional. Number one thing that I will not buy conventional, I'm gonna say this because I drink it every day and most Americans do, coffee. I will not buy conventional coffee. Most coffee is grown with pesticides. These pesticides become extremely volatile when you heat them and you pour hot water on them and they, be, they, they become a lot more volatile and a lot more toxic to our body. So when I drink coffee, I have to drink organic coffee. I will not drink non-organic coffee. Another thing that I will not do um, conventional is meat. I will not eat conventional meat. I will not eat, eat farm-raised um, fish or shellfish. The, the quality again of that, like, especially for our proteins. Our proteins are our building blocks. Proteins are actually the structure of our body. So every single solitary cell, every biochemical, every hormone, every molecule in our body is dependent on proteins. So the quality of those proteins matter. If you talk to um, somebody in the construction industry, if you talk to somebody in um, the, the clothing or textile industry or the automotive industry, the quality of their parts, the quality of their um, raw materials determines the quality of the end product. Same with us. The quality of the raw materials determines the quality of the, of the end product, of us. So my body, our bodies, are made up of proteins. So therefore, the proteins that I'm putting in my body, I want them to come to the, from the best source possible. Here's where it gets a little bit tricky though in terms of organic. 
So oftentimes when we see organic on food, when we see organic eggs or we see organic chicken or beef, we're like, okay, this is the best. Here is where organic is not necessarily the best of the best. It's better. It, um, it, it's, it's better than good, but it's not the best. So that whole little good, better, best thing. Um, so good is um, that there's no hormones, no antibiotics. Technically, within the USDA, within um, American farming practices, they're technically not allowed to use um, growth hormones and antibiotics. They do. They absolutely do. It's There are studies after studies um, where they actually take samples of, of milk, for instance, or they take samples of, of, of beef or chicken or whatever it may be, and they find residue of antibiotics. They find residue of growth hormones. So it happens. It's there. We know it. They won't. Whatever. So when you can have a label that says that, like, no, it's humanely raised, blah, 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 all of that, it's, it's good, I guess. It's, it's better than, like, you're, you're, it's, it's not as bad, I should say, as the true conventional stuff. Better is organic because the feed that those animals are receiving is organic. So that means the feed is grown without the use of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. But now we have to question, okay, what's in, what's, what, what's in the feed? So for instance, chickens or poultry, they are oftentimes um, given feed that is soy and marigold and other grains. Nothing wrong with mostly the other grains and marigold, but soy. There is a, a lot of um, research that, show, that shows the detriment um, or possible detriment of soy in our, in our diet. So these organically raised um, chickens, hens, and these uh, and the eggs that they lay are given soy. Yes, it's organic. However, there can be some some issue with that. Also, organic doesn't necessarily mean that the environment that these chickens are raised in is beneficial for them. So oftentimes you'll see um, free range, cage free, organic. Cage-free literally means nothing. It just means they're not in little tiny battery cages. So you have hundreds of chickens possibly in this crammed facility that can't go anywhere. They can't move. They can't get to the outdoors. They may have access to the outside. There may be a door somewhere around there that they could possibly get to to have access to the outdoors, but nine times out of 10, they don't have access to the outside. So cage-free doesn't really mean anything. Free range also doesn't necessarily mean anything as well because of that same reason. Reason they don't have they have the access there, but they can't actually reach the access. Um, so free range organic, eh, it's okay. What you want to look for when you're looking at for for meats for your proteins um, is pasture raised, um, grass fed, grass finished, especially for uh, beef products and organic if they're supplemental feed. Sometimes as well, if you're getting from a small local farmer, they may not actually have that organic um, USDA organic certification. That's okay. All you have to do is have a conversation with your farmer. Ask them what do they feed their, their, um, their livestock. Chances are they actually make their own feed and they've done their research, they've done their homework. Their quality of feed is far better um, than you will get from something that you can find in the grocery store. They just don't have the expensive label of organic. So if you talk to your farmer, um, somebody at a farmer's market, at a local farm near you, and they say, we make our own feed, it's non-GMO, soy-free, organic, 
you're golden. You have what you need. Um, and then also you can visit the farm. You can see where they raise their livestock. What access do they have? Um, we at, at um, our office at the Well of Life, we have um, eggs that we sell from a local farmer. Uh, we have a relationship with that farmer. We know exactly what they feed their chickens. We have seen the, the fields in which they, they raise their chickens and let them actually out to pasture and they rotate every single day. Their chickens are roaming around their property. So they're not, um, they're not completely voiding the, the soil and taking out all of the nutrients. Um, so we have that relationship. You can build that relationship with your local farmer. You can go to your local farmer's market. If you don't have the time, you live in a food desert and you don't have access to that, there are resources online where now you can get, um, you can get this organically grown, um, pasture raised, soy free, all of those things I talked about. You can get it shipped to you or you can find a local pickup site. So I would definitely recommend looking, um, looking online to see what you can get there. So organic coffee, number one, um, non-conventional, like stay away at all costs from non-conventional, um, I'm sorry, from conventionally raised, um, meats and proteins. So avoid conventional. You want to go organic or better here. The other thing, um, with produce. So produce, here's where um, there's a great resource. The Environmental Working Group, every year they release a list called their Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen. So what they actually do is rate um, the produce that are the ones that have the least amount of pesticide residue, that's their Clean 15. So you would actually be safe purchasing these produce at conventional um, prices or purchasing conventional produce. You don't have to buy the Clean 15 organic if you don't have access to it or can't afford it. The Dirty Dozen are the opposite. The Dirty Dozen are the ones that have the most pesticide residue found in them and they have the most pesticides used during the growing process. So this list is pretty consistent. It doesn't change much from year to year, but it is still updated every single year. So things that you might find on the Clean 15 are usually like your cruciferous vegetables. So broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, those kind of things are considered clean 15. Uh, other things that may be on there are things like avocado because of the, um, the thick outer skin protects the flesh on the inside. Citrus fruits, the thick outer peel protects the flesh on the inside. Bananas, the, again, the thick outer skin protects the delicate flesh on the inside. So those are things that you can safely purchase um, conventional and not necessarily have the risk of being exposed to pesticides. One thing though, I mentioned that book, um, Getting Back to the Basics of Human Health. So just thinking about that, you may not have the full nutrient profile of that food. So if you buy um, conventional uh, citrus fruits, if you buy a conventional orange, for instance, you may be um, getting very little vitamin C. Keep that in mind, bear that in mind that you may not be getting all of the vitamin profile that you need from that food, but that's better than getting the pesticides. So just bear that in mind. Your dirty dozen, here are some examples. So I will never buy um, conventional berries ever. If you just think about how delicate berries are, um, the skin, the flesh is extremely delicate. There's nothing protecting them. And literally conventional um, farmers and people who work on these farms wear hazmat suits in the fields to spray these crops. 
they are there there have been evidence that up to 150 different chemicals have been found in berries alone that are conventionally grown so i will never buy conventional berries always organic um the other some others are lettuces lettuces again extremely delicate leaves not much protection oftentimes sprayed very heavily when growing conventionally so lettuces um kale, spinach, like your, your tender leafy greens, they should be organic when possible. Um, some other things are things like potatoes. The reason why potatoes are now allowed to be genetically modified. Here in the US, it is not required to label when a food is genetically modified. So you have to be a, a smart consumer and do your research and know, okay, what is genetically modified? What crops are oftentimes genetically modified? So papaya, oftentimes genetically modified. Corn, oftentimes genetically modified. Now potatoes can be added to that list of oftentimes genetically modified. So yes, potatoes oftentimes don't need a lot of pesticides for the growing process, but now because they are often genetically modified, it just to be safe, it would be better to get um, organic potatoes. Some other ones um, are your, your really thin skinned um, stone fruits. So plums, peaches, nectarines, all of those should be organic because again, they have a very thin, delicate skin, not a lot of protection. Oftentimes when they're conventionally grown, they're sprayed with a lot of pesticides. Uh, the same thing with apples, apples and pears. They thin skin, we eat the skin of those, same thing with those stone fruits, we eat the skin, so whatever protective layer was there, we're consuming, so most likely um, if it's conventionally grown, there's pesticide residue there. With all of this being said, um, again, there's a more of extensive list, but if you um, visit the environmental working group and look up their clean 15 versus dirty dozen, you will get this list and it's put out every year. Oh, tomatoes, another biggie, tomatoes should be absolutely organic, whether you're buying fresh or canned tomato products um, should absolutely be organic. So do your research, do your homework, look this up every year. Like I said, it's pretty consistent. There really aren't very many changes with it, um, but just know um, what you're looking for in the grocery store every time you go in. So those are just some things that, um, that I would recommend really sticking to an organic practice there. Uh, one other thing that I'm going to add is if you um, are consuming any type of wheat-based products, look for organic. So when wheat and oftentimes other grains are harvested, they are doused with glyphosate for two reasons, supposedly. Number one, it supposedly helps with um, preventing any molding or rot. So after they're harvested, um, it can, the, the length of transit time from the field to the processing plant can oftentimes be very long. So in that transit time, they're trying to prevent the growth of mold and um, any other uh, pests or, in, or um, blights on the crop. So they douse it with glyphosate. Another reason is supposedly it helps um, with the ease of harvesting. It just helps it fall off the plant. I wonder why it's falling off the plant. Um, but it helps it to come off the plant and be harvested more efficiently. So when you're eating conventional wheat, you are eating glyphosate. Um, one of the big names here is um, General Mills cereal. One of the first foods, finger foods, that we give our children as they're trying to develop those fine motor skills of pinching, grasping, eating is Cheerios. Cheerios are loaded with glyphosate. Remember I talked about all of the risk factors and all the things that glyphosate might be connected to? 
don't buy Cheerios. Don't give your children Cheerios. Um, stay away from the conventional wheat at all costs. So if you eat wheat products, at the very least, you want to do organic wheat, organic breads, pastas, crackers, um, pretzels, all of those things. So this is why organic matters because these things happen to our food and we have no say, we have no control over it. The best control that we have is going local whenever possible, doing our research, doing our homework, being a smart, savvy consumer, and we vote with our dollar. We, we encourage with our dollars. We, we can really make shifts and changes with our dollars and that's wherever we spend our money, that's where um, the growth can happen. So if we're spending our money on the cheapest things possible and we're just trying to save as much as we can, I know that there are extenuating circumstances. I know that oftentimes, especially re as of recently, finances are very different from what they used to be. I get it, I understand it. With that being said, we still have to feed life and give life and bring, um, bring that value to our bodies. Otherwise, we're gonna pay for it later on in leukemia, in lymphoma, in breast cancer, uterine cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. We're gonna pay either now and, and feed health or we're gonna pay later and be, um, be extremely sick and, and, and in the, the clutches of the pharmaceutical industry. Again, whole nother rabbit trail there. But I hope this sheds some light on why organic matters and helps you to realize um, that what you eat is vitally important. Um, what you put on your body is vitally important. I talked mostly about food here, but just think about it. Like the, the personal care products that you use, uh, the textiles that are used and put on your body, um, the, the, the cleaning products that you use in your home. I've talked about these in um, on our first um, episodes, but I just wanted to reiterate that that's just as important as well. And the quality of the ingredients going into those products, it matters. So um, I hope this was enlightening to you. Again, if you have any questions, you can um, feel free to send them in, email us, um, call, uh, whatever you need to do to, to get that information. But we'd love to hear your feedback um, and we'd love to continue having these conversations about, um, about these issues, about more and more things and really begin to educate people on the things that they do on a day-to-day -day basis. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Thank you for joining us at Come Draw to the Well. And I look forward to hearing from you um, with any questions that you have. And I look forward to chatting with you once again.